So, I just think I need to, to clarify something first, and that is um, there's always been this, this thing in my mind about what is teaching and what is preaching. Um, and uh, like for me, trying to define and to, to explain the difference between the two. And um, so I think preaching is, is, is sort of a telling forth. You know, you're proclaiming something, you're preaching, you're telling forth. And, um, and teaching tends to be more knowledge and facts and explaining things. Um, and then in the church environment, um, we, know, we know, for example, Jesus did, did both. So he went to various villages and he was preaching. But we do know that he, he, he taught a lot and he often used parables in his teaching. And also often he would draw his disciples aside after a meeting or after a, after a preaching and then explain things to them. So Jesus did both the preaching and the, and the teaching. But I must say that, that I, I love the teaching element. Um, and maybe you'll see it today a little bit. Um, but I love the information and having information and then uh, sharing that. So for the teachers here today, um, I think I can maybe relate to, to you today as well. Um, to share information with people and then to see how it affects them when, that, when the penny drops, so to speak, um, as, as they're learning. But in the church environment, we need both. We need both teaching and we need preaching. And even when you preach a, a message, um, like Joe has been so faithfully preaching through, through Philippians, there is an element of uh, information that comes through, through preaching as well. Um, but the main thing is, is proclaiming and, and, and preaching very much touches your, your, your heart and, and your soul. You know, when the message is proclaimed, it, it, it speaks to you in your heart. Um, teaching speaks a lot to your mind initially. Uh, it's the information and, and what that means. But both of them should impact you in a spiritual environment on both levels. So it should impact your mind and your heart when you are preaching and when you are teaching. So that's just a bit of, a bit of introduction to, to kind of set you, your mind at ease today. If you see there's a lot of information, um, um, there is a purpose in, in sharing a little bit of information. I hope it's not too much information. Um, I've been doing a course recently at uh, Wycliffe uh, College in North Riding and the theme of this course that we're doing at the moment is the Gospels. So I just thought this morning that it would be so nice to share with you um, what I've been learning um, and specifically we'd I'd like to look this morning at the Gospel of Luke. But before we look at Luke, I'd just like to give a, a bit of a background even on the Gospels, just, just very briefly. And I don't know if you like me, but the Gospels to me kind of just flow into each other. And you often find when a preacher preaches from the Gospel, he'll take a little bit from Mark, a little bit from Matthew, a story from Luke, and you, you kind of just, it almost flows into one eventually. You know, the Gospel is the Gospel. Um, and, you, and you lose the... The differences between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it, you know, it becomes a bit fuzzy. Uh, why are there four Gospels, and, and what are the emphases, um, and how do you relate to these, these different authors? And when you start to look at that, there's some, there's some wonderful things that come out. If you look at the, 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 the themes of, of the different Gospels, and if you get to know the authors a little bit, now, there's a caution here as well, because we don't want to overemphasize the authors. They don't do it themselves. When you read the Gospels, they don't tell you a lot about themselves, the authors. Um, and most of the books of the Bible are like, that, are, are like that. The authors don't. They don't bring themselves out and say, I'm so-and-so, and this is my life story, and 
so forth, like we do in a lot of modern books these days. We want to know about the authors. But in the, in the gospel specifically, there's not a lot of information um, about the authors, and there's a reason for that, um, because the gospels are the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let's not lose that focus, but let's also, I'm going to speak a little bit about Luke um, before we look at the major themes. There's a few major themes I want to look at, at in Luke. Um, time, time providing. Um, but let, let's just go back and let's talk a little bit about the Gospels. So we know we've got the four Gospels. Um, we've got the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Synoptic just means that they kind of summarize and they, and they almost fit together. Those, those three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And then we've got John, which is a little bit different. John was written a lot later in years. Uh, he was a lot older. And he had the advantage of having the other three Gospels already in place um, that he could draw on. But he brought a whole different emphasis to the Gospel message. Um, but we're not going to speak a lot about John. But just so that you understand, we've got the three synoptic Gospels. And then we've got John written later later on. So, we've got these different authors that wrote the gospel. So you may say, well, um, why are there different themes in the gospel? Isn't this all just about Jesus? Shouldn't it be just one, one gospel message? And there is some truth to that. Um, but let's go back to how the Holy Spirit inspired the, the authors. So remember, there's individuals that wrote the Gospels, individual people, they were their own people. They had their own likes and dislikes, their own personalities. And yet the Holy Spirit chose to inspire them. So we know that the Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to His disciples, um, in the Gospel of John, He said to them, I will give you the, I will send the Holy Spirit and He will remind you of these things. And so when the, when, the, when the disciples were writing, when the, the, the two <coughs> disciples, the two apostles were writing, the Holy Spirit was reminding them um, of the things that Jesus had, had told them. And that's why they could so accurately record um, years later what Jesus had, had told them. And so it's this whole thing about the Holy Spirit inspiring them, inspiring the, the writers through their personalities. So even, even though they had these individual people, individual personalities, but it was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And let's keep that in mind, that whatever we see in the Gospels, whatever we see in the Word, is there because God wants it there, because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So even though we have individuals, um, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's why those, those stories and those specific themes... Um, were brought out because God wanted them to be there. So what is the common thread that just flows throughout, throughout the gospel? Well, firstly, we know gospel means the good news. So the meaning of gospel is the good news. And it's, but it's not just the good news. The, the, the perspective of the, the word gospel it's the good news of victory. And um, if you go back to those times, Roman times and that, there was this emphasis about when a, when a conquering hero used to come and he was uh, bringing captives behind him. It was that sort of, sort of idea, but now it relates to the Gospels. So the good news of the victory of the Kingdom of God, if you want an extended um, definition of what the Gospel is about. And it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the Christ, and He brings the kingdom of God. Jesus announces and brings the kingdom of God. So that's what the Gospels are about, to summarize. And they all share that in common. All the Gospels share that common theme. Jesus is the Christ who brings the kingdom of God. Right, so that's just a little bit about Gospels. Let's get on to the focus today. That was just by means of introduction. Focus today is the Gospel of Luke. And um, I trust that you're going to be inspired when you just hear a little bit more uh, from, from Luke. 
So Luke was the only writer that was not a Jew. So Luke was a Gentile. He was the only writer of the Gospels that was not a Jew. And I might be under, under correction, but I believe he's the only author in the Bible, only writer in the Bible who was a Gentile and not a, not a Jew. Um, he was born in Antioch in Syria. So that's up north above Israel. Um, and Antioch. Um, and Antioch was, was known for a lot of the Christians initially. Um, there was a very strong Christian community after, after the times of Christ in Antioch. Antioch today is uh, a deserted city. You know, the, the city just fell into derelict over years and years. Um, but that's where he was born. And then, if we look at his occupation, so most of you will probably know this, but he was a, a doctor. Dr. Luke. And it's so lovely in Colossians. Um, Paul refers, him, refers to him as the beloved physician. Um, um, some, some versions I've heard them say the good, the good doctor. That was, that was Luke. So obviously Paul had this special relationship with, with Luke as, as a physician. Um, Paul, um, Luke accompanied Paul on many of his travels. So, from Acts, from Acts 16 onwards, when Luke is writing, because remember Luke writes the book of Luke, and then he writes the book of, of, of Acts. There's two, two books that he wrote. So when he's writing um, Acts, from Acts 16 onwards, he refers to everything in the first person. Instead of saying, they did this and they did this, he says, we so from Acts 16, halfway through Acts, Luke is now experiencing what's happening. He's writing from first-hand um, experience. So he went with Paul on many, many of his, his journeys. And, and then he decided to sit down and, and write this, this, this record. And we're going to look at why, why he did it. He was well-educated. Luke was very well-educated. And the standard of Greek that he used in, 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 his, in, his, in his books was of a very high standard. In fact, I've heard one author say that his description of the shipwreck uh, at the end of Acts with, with Paul is, is an exemplary, exemplary work of, of, of literature. You know, so his, his, his education and his standard of writing was of a very, very high um, class. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he, he, he wrote um, Luke and then flowing into Acts. Even though the Bible um, has John in between, um, you should actually read it as one flowing um, um, writing between Luke and Acts. And then let's just look quickly at his, um, his purpose for writing. And uh, I'm going to read from Luke, Luke chapter 1. Um, and we're going to read why, why did he, so why did this doctor um, write, write uh, Luke, the book of Luke? He says um, from Luke 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, um, and minister of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, this is why he's writing. He's writing... To give an orderly account, to give a historical record, to give to research and to do an orderly account, and he's writing to the most excellent Theophilus. So, who was the most excellent Theophilus? Theophilus. The name Theophilus means friend of God. Some people surmise that actually Theophilus wasn't a person; it was just people in general, friends of God. 
But that's not the common view. The common view that was that Theophilus was an actual individual, and especially due to the fact that he's addressed as the most excellent Theophilus. So there's a good possibility he was some sort of official, possibly a Roman official, um, because that was the way that in the Bible that, that some of the other Roman officials like Felix and so forth were addressed, most excellent. It was a common title for a high official. Um, so why would he be writing to Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus? There's a few speculations. I've even read one author that said that, and this is an interesting um, speculation, they said that Theophilus could have been a defense lawyer for Paul. And, um, and Luke was writing to Theophilus to give him a record of everything about Jesus and that he could use in his defense uh, when he defended Paul uh, in the Rome um, against the charges that, that he had against him. But that was just, that's just speculation. But anyhow, so we know Theophilus was probably a high official. Uh, it's possible that he was a patron in those days. If you were just to write a literary work, you would have a patron that would sponsor you and maybe pay your time or, or, or even just ask you to do the work for them on their behalf. But then there was also a broader audience that he was writing to. He wasn't just writing to Theophilus. There was a broader community that was benefiting from this. And to understand that, um, we just need a little bit of information on the times. And, and once we've gone through that, then we're ready to start and look at, look at the themes. But the times of the day uh, when this gospel was written was, was during the times of, of, of Emperor Nero. The Roman Emperor Nero. So Roman Emperor Nero was, came into, into power in about 59 AD. So remember Christ would have been, what, 30 or 33 AD that he, that he died, um, that he was crucified. So Emperor Nero came in at, at 59 AD um, and halfway through his reign, so around about 64 AD, um, he started this in the beginning it was okay, but suddenly they began to realize, hang on, these, 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 these Christians, this Christian community, at first they were thought they were part of the Jews. The Romans thought, no, the Christian community is part of the Jewish uh, tradition. And they allowed the Jews to practice their faith. The Romans allowed the, the Jews to practice their faith. It was acceptable. So when they went and conquered a, a, a territory, they would normally allow the people to keep their traditions and their, and their, and their things in, in place. But they began to realize, hang on, this, this, these Christians are a subset, a funny sect of the Jews. Um, they don't quite believe the same thing. And there's this, 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 this man that lived, Jesus, that, that was crucified, that they kind of worshipped this man. And, and they got very uneasy with the Christians. And, um, they, they, and then they also realized how quickly this message was spreading across the world. That this message is not just for the Jews. It's taking a hold on, on society. And, um, and then things turned. And then things turned against the Christians. So this, this persecution broke out under, under Emperor Nero. And, um, and, so, and so he started to persecute the, the Christians. And these were the Christians that were were reading, started to read this, these Gospels. And, and so Luke was writing to this broader audience as well. So it was written towards probably about 67 or 68 AD is when they say um, Luke was, was written. And before the destruction of the temple, the temple was destroyed in 70 um, AD. But it was written before then because there was no mention made in, in, in Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, or in Acts um, about that. Okay, so that's a bit of the, the background. Um, so now we have this Luke. He's a physician. He's known as the beloved physician. He's very particular about information. He's recording eyewitness accounts. Um, he's very methodical. That's what we learn from, from Luke. That's what we learned from Luke, and that's that long introduction. 
but that just gives you a bit of idea about Luke, the man. Gives you a bit of idea about who he's writing to, who's reading this, and the, and the circumstances of the people reading this, this gospel. And I think we're ready to, to go on to the themes and, and let's see how, how things go. And what the Lord is going to say to us through this. So there's a, there's a key verse, there's some key verses in, in Luke that, that I'd like to share. And that's in Luke 4, verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18. And I think this would probably be one of the, the main verses or the main sections if you want to have an understand, <coughs> understanding of Luke. It just sheds some light. So Jesus is, um, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's at Nazareth. And remember, remember the story. So he's, he's called to stand up in the synagogue and to read. They gave him a, uh, something to read. And this is what he reads. Uh, Luke 4 verse 18. He stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's it. And then, then there was, it sounds like there was silence there. It says the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So yeah, he is in his home environment. They've seen Jesus grow up before them. Uh, these people in the area. And, um, and he, he stands up and he reads this. And there's a silence, and then he says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your gearing. Talk about weighted words, just hanging there. Huh? Then, it, then it carries on. So, so those are the main verses, 18 to 19, but it is interesting just to see. Um, All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But they said, is this not Joseph's son? This is Jesus. He's grown up before us. He's playing with our children. And he said, he replied, he said, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. In other words, uh, help yourself. You know, you've, 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 you're just a young guy that's grown up before us. Help yourself before you come and preach to us. And what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do, yeah, we've heard you've done some things in other towns. Come back and, and do these things, yeah. And then he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, and this is, this is, this is also getting to the crux of it. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Okay. And then we're going to read what their reaction is. But before we go read what their reaction is, just understand what he's saying to them. He's saying, he's saying, there were miracles done. There were healings done. Going back to the Old Testament. But it wasn't for the Jews. Those healings. So this one, um, Elijah, he was sent to the widow of Zarephath. In the land of, 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 of Sidon. That's not, a, it's not in Israel. And he says, um, Naaman the Syrian. He comes from Syria. From Luke's home country. Um, and so suddenly they are very offended by him. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. Uh, they wanted to throw him down. Passing through the midst, he went away. They were offended by him. Um, right at the beginning there, he was talking about the other people, other nations. Um, and so, this is the, the key though. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So, there's three themes, themes I want to touch on this, this morning. Um, and some of them will go quicker than others, but just the three. So, the first theme is in, in Luke is that of salvation um, or justification. Um, justification or salvation. In, in Luke, the word salvation, saviour and saved is mentioned uh, 25 times, more than in any other in any other gospel, those words, saved, salvation, and saviour, uh, are mentioned 25 times in Luke. Um, so first and foremost, salvation, the plan of salvation that came through Jesus was all about God's plan. It was all about God's plan. Um, and you don't need to turn to these, because I'll, I'll just mention... Extracts from, from certain chapters and verses. So in Luke 1 verse 26, the angel Gabriel is sent from God. The angel Gabriel is, is sent from God to Virgin Mary. God puts these things in, in motion. God starts something here at the beginning of, 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 of Luke. There's something that God is doing. Um, later on in the temple, now Jesus has been, been born. Um, in Luke 2, verse 26, Simeon, um, the righteous man, uh, meets the baby in the temple, meets the parents with the baby in the temple. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. The scripture says that Simeon was brought into the temple under the spirit of God. He is a devout man. He'd been looking for God's salvation. And... Um, he was brought to the temple and he saw this baby. And when he saw this baby, he said, uh, let your servant depart in peace. But the key there is he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He gave God the glory. The verse we just said, we just read in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. We just read that just now. The spirit of the Lord. So the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. God's Spirit was upon Jesus. So all these things are pointing to God. They're pointing to why was Jesus here. This was God's plan. This comes out very strongly in, in Luke 9 verse 22. Where Jesus says to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and, and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What's he saying? He's saying, Jesus is saying there's a plan. There's a plan that's unfolding here in Luke 9 verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer. Must suffer. There's a plan. There's something that must happen. But then he gives the whole plan. He says he must be rejected. Um, and he will be killed on the third day. Even the details of the third day. He gives, he gives all of that. So what is the definition then of, of salvation? If it's all God's plan, we know it's God's plan. What is this definition of, of salvation? And we need to know this today, don't we? Salvation is deliverance from evil and from God's judgment against sin. Salvation is deliverance from evil and from God's judgment Against sin. So on the one hand is, is to be delivered from evil. On the other hand, it's to um, be it's, it's, it's against God's uh, 
ju- judgment. We, we, we come into the right standing with God. We are born sinners heading for destruction apart from God. Salvation results in peace between us and God. We are born sinners heading for destruction apart from God. Salvation results in peace between us and God. So what a message, uh, a theme that, that, that runs through, as I've shown you in those, those scriptures. The message of justification, the message of salvation. The second one is, and this is a very strong message. So the first one was justification. The second theme is that of justice. The theme of justice. And this is where we come to the upside down gospel. This whole theme of justice. And it's a strong, a strong message throughout the, the gospels. But especially in Luke, and especially Dr. Luke, um, this, this, this message touched him. Um, let's have a look at Mary's song of praise in Luke 1. And, and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about when, when you read this. So in Luke 1, this is Mary now, when she visits Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth. Luke 1, verse, verse 46. It's called the Man- Ma- Magnificat. Maybe someone will know why it's called the Magnificat. I don't know. Do, I know. do you? Yes. Because she's magnifying God. Magnificent, exalting, one. wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for that. Magnificent. Right. <clears throat> she says, Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, humble Mary. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed." For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered, now listen here, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abram and to his offspring forever. Those are strong words. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Yeah. So, if you read through Luke, there's just a thread that, that goes through the Luke. And it's about how the Lord ministers to these outcast groups. There's a theme in Luke about this. It's in all the Gospels, yes. But there are specific stories included in Luke and not included in other Gospels which emphasize this this theme. So, so the groups that, that come to mind are like the lepers, um, and there, I'll just mention one, one example where Luke is a bit different. So you know where the ten lepers um, are healed? And only one comes back to say thank you. Only in Luke does it mention that that man was a Samaritan. Only in Luke does it mention that that's the leper that came back was a Samaritan. And we know about the Samaritans, don't we? So the Samaritans were this mixed, it was Jews. I think I read somewhere that it was the Jews that stayed behind during the exile. And then they mixed with, with other population groups. So it was a mixed, a mixed breed of people. And um, the Jews were very, very, you know, if you read about it in the New Testament, 
You, know, what, you shouldn't go near the Samaritans. You shouldn't go through their, their town. You should certainly not speak to a Samaritan woman. Um, so there was these prejudices. Eh? Um, but how, 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 how Luke emphasizes how Jesus was there for the lepers. How he, he reached out to the lepers. How he reached out to the Samaritans. Remember what we read now, um, earlier on, about Jesus in the, in, in the synagogue. And how they were offended just because he said that, that in the Old Testament there was a, there was a message that reached out to, to the foreigners. They were so offended they wanted to throw him off the cliff just by their saying that. So you can imagine how deep these, uh, these, uh, uh, these issues go. Um, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, that's recorded in Luke, if I'm correct, it's only in Luke as well. Um, then there's a story of an immoral, immoral woman um, and how Jesus reaches out to her. Um, the woman with an issue of blood. So, so you see what Jesus is doing. It's all about these, these groups. So remember, even women were very marginalized um, in that society. And how Jesus reaches out to these groups. The woman with an issue of blood. The woman that was bent, bent over. It says she was actually oppressed by a demon. And she was bent over physically. And how Jesus, Jesus delivered her. Um, and, um, and then, of course, the poor. The poor. And Luke mentions when, when, when Jesus' parents came to the temple, they brought just a pigeon. That was all they had to, 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 to bring. And, and, and that was the sacrifice that the very poor people would bring to, to when they came to the temple. These were Jesus' parents. So this was the family that he found himself in. Um, and, then, and then in Luke 8, it actually, right beginning of Luke 8, it mentions a group of women who, who, who followed Jesus, who had been delivered from infirmities and, and demons. A whole um, group of, I'm not sure if it mentions how many, but there were a couple of, of women that just followed Jesus that were also delivered from infirmities and, and um, from demons. So there's this theme that just comes throughout the book of, Le- of, of Luke about underprivileged, um, disadvantaged, the poor. Um, and then it always gets contrasted with the Pharisees. You know, these Pharisees that were so... Upright. When this woman was bent over, Jesus condemned the Pharisees, you know, because they criticized him for healing the woman. I think it was on the Sabbath, if I remember correctly. And he criticized the Pharisees. So there's always that contrast between the haves, you know, of society, the elite of society, and the poor. And Jesus said, "Come to minister to these people." And this theme just comes through, just comes throughout the. The gospel, and, and I don't know if I've made the point strong enough yet, but I just want to read this. Um, if I should read it now, let me first make a further point because I know what a, a lot of you may be thinking, and it's a common thing. Um, there's a verse that people that people like to quote. It says, "The poor you will always have with you." Jesus said that, and it's true. He did say it. He did say, "The poor you will always have with you." But a lot of people say that, say, okay, okay, we hear what you're saying, it's the gospel for the poor and everything. But what about this? What about Jesus saying, the poor you will always have? Well, let's, let's just remind ourselves what happened in that, that story. And that's not in, um, that's not in Luke. But, but let's put that in context when Jesus said that. So the context of that story, and you can read it in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, if you want to read about uh, when Jesus was quoted as saying Jesus was in the home of Simon the leper. This is the context. And a woman came in with a, a jar of, alabaster jar of, of very, very expensive ointment. Extremely expensive ointment. And she anointed Jesus' head with this, with this ointment. And the disciples, possibly because they realized that Jesus' message was a message to the poor, they were offended. The disciples were offended. They said, why could we not have rather taken this alabaster jar and sold it 
And that money we could have given to the poor because it was so expensive. And then Jesus said, she said, what this, Jesus said, what this woman has done, she's done a beautiful thing for me. She has prepared me for burial. This was at the time leading up to, to Jesus' going to Jerusalem for, for, to be crucified. And then he said, he did say, you'll always have the poor with you. Right? Matthew stops there. It just says, the poor you'll always have with you. But in Mark, it says, whenever you want, you can do good for them. In Mark, it says, the poor you will always have with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. So what was the context? Jesus was saying, my time is limited. I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified. This woman has come in. She's anointed me. This is a burial thing. I'm, I'm anointed now to be crucified. She's done a beautiful thing for me. My time is limited. The poor you will have with you. You will have more opportunities. Do good to them. You will have them with you. But you see where it, come, it, it counter, counters against that argument of just saying, the poor you will always have with you. You see, there's a whole different light on it if you read it in context. Right. So the next question is, okay, Wesley, what are we saying? Are you saying this is the social gospel? This is the social gospel. Is this all about the poor? We must all sell everything, live in poverty ourselves, give away everything, and, and just go and do the social gospel. And a lot of churches, I don't know if you know, but a lot of churches do that, isn't it? Am I right? A lot of churches have, they tend to have an emphasis on that. Um, the doing. And I'm not knocking that. Because obviously from what we're reading, we need to be aware of that. Um, but there is that, that aspect. And what about the work message that goes, that's going on? That's all about reversing all this, um, the downtrodden and the, and the wrong racial groups. And, you know, it's about reversing all this and, 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 and the males and, you know, the whole, you know, I'm sure you've, you've heard all this stuff. So what about that? Um, how does it, that impact you? Well, I don't think, I don't think the, the message is that. I think we need to understand the heart of Jesus. I think we need to understand the heart of Jesus. So if we understand Jesus' heart in reaching these people, um, it will just settle us and just give us an idea of, of how we need to approach this. So to, to give you an idea and an insight into Jesus' heart, let's, let's just have a look at... Are we doing okay, Jim? So far. Okay. Um, okay, but I think, I think this is an important, important topic. So let's finish, finish this one. The next um, theme is, is quite short. But let's just have a look at Jesus' heart um, in Luke 7, verse 11. And I'll read from there. <clears throat> Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was already a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So here's the context. Um, there's this funeral procession. This woman is coming out with all her friends. She's a widow already. She's got one son. He's, he's deceased. He's lying on this, the beer. On, you know, they're carrying him. And remember in those communities, in those days, a widow was... You had no resources. You, you, you were... You know... You, you couldn't earn a living, basically. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier. And the bearer stood still. And he said, 
Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And then fear seized them all. <laughs> and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Isn't that such a touching story? Eh? This widow, she's got nothing. Her son is on the, on the coffin, you could say, or the beer, whatever. Um, and Jesus comes and he touches her and he says, Do not weep. Do not be sad. And he raises his son up and gives his son back to the, back to the widow. And, um, and that's the heart of Jesus in his gospel. And I think if we understand the heart of Jesus... When it comes to the poor, when it comes to the disadvantaged. Um, and we don't have a militant attitude either way. In other words, either no, we don't accept that, you know, or, or, or we're not out there fighting for every cause we can find. You know, but we have a balance and we understand the heart of Jesus. And the other, the other key thing about this is it speaks to us today because no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our background, and we all have some other issue, somewhere in our life, or uh, either a relationship with parents that wasn't good, or whatever. Or somehow we've been disadvantaged in some way. We can relate to this. We can relate to this. This is Jesus. It's, it's, it's an inclusive gospel. It's not about our qualifications. It's not about what we can do. The gospel includes us all. And includes all those around us. And let's, let's think about that. Everyone out there in the street, the big in the street. This is an inclusive gospel. It, it brings him in. It brings in those people. It, it, it brings in the people that are out there offending us. It, the gospel includes all of those. It includes all those people. And this is the message of, of the gospel. And uh, I think if we take that out today, that's, that's very valuable. And then to close with the last theme. And we won't be long on this. But this is so wonderful to end on this note. So we had justification, the first thing, salvation. Um, then we had justice, the upside-down gospel, how things get turned around um, in favor of the poor and the underprivileged. So it's, it's justification, justice. The last theme, and it just flows through to look so wonderful, is joy. Because we have peace with God, because we understand justification, because we, we're in His salvation, we've accepted that salvation, we've accepted that we can be free from our sins, and we're now at peace with God. Joy, the theme of joy just comes into play. Um, and I'll mention a few verses uh, that just emphasize joy. So Luke 1 verse 14, the angel came to Zechariah announcing John the Baptist. And he says to Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Speaking about Jesus. You will have, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, you will have joy and gladness, but many will rejoice at his birth. This good news, eh? The gospel, the good news. And then in um, Luke 1, verse 47, um, Mary, I think that was part of the Magnificent, Magnificent, I think. My spirit rejoices. Is it? I'm not sure. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Again, Mary. She's joyful. She's rejoicing. Um, Luke two verse ten. This is the birth after the birth of Jesus. The angel comes to the shepherds. We know this. Eh? We know the story. Angel comes to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy for. All the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. And then in Luke 15, there's a few stories of, re of rejoicing. So the stories there is of the lost and found in Luke 15. So it's the lost and found coin, the lost and found sheep, um, and then even the, even the story of the prodigal son. So 
these, are, these things have been found, and then it says, and there was great rejoicing. So it's this, thing, this theme of joy and, and rejoicing. And then, to end off Luke with, it ends off. Luke ends off. So it starts with the angel announcing to Zechariah the good news about John the Baptist, and you had of joy and gladness. And then at the end, when Jesus ascends, it says the disciples worshipped him, and they returned with great joy. And that's how Luke ends. So for us today, when we realize this message of salvation for all of us, no matter what, no matter our circumstances, no matter how we feel about ourselves, there's a message of salvation for us. It includes us all, each one of us. Not one of us is left out. It includes us all. It brings us into peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we have great joy. Nothing can offend us. Nothing can, can take that joy from us when we're experiencing that joy and that peace. So that's a summary of, of the themes of, of Luke. What a blessing. What a blessing. So maybe we could, should I just close, Joe? Let's just close. Lord, thank you for the, the wonder of your word and the way it's recorded, Lord, and who re- recorded and how they recorded it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that uh, through Luke we've learned how we are we have this great, this good news of victory. Thank you for the good news, Lord. And that we, that we can live in victory. And that we, we, have, to, we have no fear of our background or of, of our, our disabilities. In whatever way, Lord, we've been afflicted. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to have that attitude to those around us. That we may be gracious. That we may be kind. And we, that we may have your heart, Lord. And Lord, thank you for your peace. That Lord, in you we have peace. Your peace guards our hearts. And that we can live in joy and victory. We thank you for that, Lord. And just go with us this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for this little church, Lord, for everyone that's here today. And for, for, for all, our, all the, the hearts that have been brought here to this morning, to just show you all Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're so special to us. You're so gracious to us. You're kind to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. We worship you this morning. And may the peace of God guard our hearts as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.